What's up? It's Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000, Chicago's home for sports. Thanks for listening to the Under the Hood podcast presented by Coors Light. Stay inside and buy your Coors Light online. Find out how at get.coorslight.com. Coors Light, take time to chill. This is Chicago's home for sports. Stream ESPN 1000 easily on the all-new ESPN Chicago app. You're listening to Under the Hood on ESPN 1000. What's up and welcome in. This is Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000 and the brand new ESPN Chicago app. Open phone lines for you. 312-332-ESPN-332-3776 is our telephone number. Hit me up on Instagram, IGJHood at Twitter, Twitter.com, TweetJHood. So glad you're in with me here on this Tuesday night. Uh, still to come, as we do every night, an hour from now, summer football. Every night at 8 o'clock, we give you something pro, give you something college, we give you something fantasy. Hope that you check in for summer football coming up at 8 o'clock as we get ready for football season. Whenever that happens, pro or college, we will uh, talk some football every night at 8 o'clock right here on ESPN 1000 with a special guest. But before we even get to summer football... I do have uh, some football conversation for you. And so that's why I said, you know, hey, the lines are open for you. If you're a Bears fan or a fan of the NFL, I, I want to get your thoughts on something I was thinking about earlier today. So I was uh, reading Pro Football Focus and had a piece written by Sam Monson entitled NFL Defensive Line Rankings, all 32 units for the 2020 NFL season. Actually, there were several columns, but I'm just going to lead with this. NFL defensive line rankings. And so every time that we see one of these um, kind of columns regarding tiers, the best of the best, the worst of the worst in the NFL, I always look at the Bears, right, and try to figure out where the Bears are. Just the other night, we were going through the ESPN.com column. And that was an ESPN.com column talking about where the Bears are in the next three years. And we come to find out in the next three years, ESPN writers, including Lewis Riddick, who is an analyst for ESPN, said that the Bears in three years could be the 31st best team in the National Football League. Uh, and I know some Bears fans did not like that. I know Tom Waddle did not like that uh, because that projection says that you're pretty much starting over. Well, you got to realize for me as a Bears fan, and some of you have lived through this and some have not, that the strength of the team historically has been the defensive side of the football. Uh, looking at just going to pro football reference just to refresh my memory about teams I watched as a kid and watching the 85 Bears and watching the Ditka-led Bears. You know, Ditka started off in 1982 with the Bears, and slowly but surely the team had an identity of a defensive juggernaut, one of the best defenses. If not, It's the best defense I've ever seen in 1985 as a kid watching this 85 Bears team and that run that the Bears had defensively, that also was the best that I've seen for a sustained run. Even though there was just one Super Bowl championship, the point is that more times than not, defensively, the Bears were getting it done. So I was looking at the Bears and looking what they did in the Ditka era, and it changed a little bit under Dave Wanstead. It changed a little bit under Dick Duran, and there was more of a defensive presence 
with this football team when Lovey Smith took over. He took over in 2004 and lasted all the way until 2012 when Mark Trestman took over Fox and now Matt Nagy. But for the majority of my time watching Bears football, the identity has been defense. Before I was born, before some of us was born in the 60s, it was about the defense. It was, you know, I remember working with the late Doug Buffon uh, on radio shows for many years and him talking about how strong those defenses were as he was a linebacker right next to Dick Butkus and all those, and all those NFL films. The majority of those NFL films for the Bears is about what the team could do defensively, right? And so I was just taking a look at the defensive line, and they have Pittsburgh at number one, T.J. Watt taking a step forward in 2019. So the Steelers are number one on this list, followed by the Eagles at number two, Washington at number three with Chase Young, of course, the 49ers at four. We just saw them in the Super Bowl with Nick, uh, with Nick Bosa entering year two of his NFL career. That dude, that, uh, year two of his NFL career, after setting the rookie record for the most total pressures in a season at 80, he broke a record that stood since 2012 with 16 pressures, no less. Uh, and that doesn't even count the fact that he still had his foot on the gas by the time the Super Bowl rolled around. So so as far as the line, the 49ers are number four. Uh, the Green Bay Packers are number five on this list. You know, Kenny Clark and... Uh, Zedaria Smith, Preston Smith, a number of these players defensively for the Packers. Then we get to the Bears. See, it wasn't one of those things where I scroll all the way down to the bottom. The Bears actually were the top ten of something. So we can celebrate that tonight on Under the Hood, right? So I go to Pro Football Focus and see the defensive line rankings, and I see the Bears at number six. It's not one of these things where I'm teasing you all night and saying, where are the Bears, where are the Bears, they're on the bottom. No, they're number six. Here's what they say about them. And this, this, I like this column because it justifies my thoughts on the Bears' defense. Chicago's defensive front is still led by Khalil Mack, but he was something of a one-man band in 2019. Akeem Hicks was limited to 191 snaps of action, and nobody else was able to consistently dominate. Mack, for his part, had something of a down year, but that still meant posting an 86.2 overall pro football focus grade and ranking inside the top 15 of edge rushers. Uh, his 70 total pressures ranked 10th, and his pass rushing grade was 81.3, which is 13th overall. Um, they talked about Leonard Floyd being replaced by Robert Quinn. They talk about in the column that Eddie Goldman was a nose tackle last season, but nothing more. Death is a real concern uh, for the defensive front, which has few consistent threats and nobody outside the players already mentioned who posted a pass rushing grade north of 65 in 2019. So here's why I'm starting with this tonight is because. For generations, the defense has been the distinguishing characteristic for Bears football. It's been the calling card for Bears football. And, and so even with some slippage, as they talk about in pro football focus, yeah, Khalil Mack was not the guy that he was when he first got here or, or he was with the Raiders. And they do document about uh, Keem Hicks and the limited snaps that he had because of injury. But even with that, from the line to the secondary, it was still a formidable enough defense to do some damage defensively. And I think that, that was, this was a playoff-like defense. Now, again, is a defense that holds you uh, into games uh, in the playoffs? Mm, maybe, maybe not. But all I know is that this is a defense that had Pierre Lewis on it, a defense that had Amukamara on it, 
uh, Kwiatkowski on it. It had haha Clinton Dix on it. And, and so even with, uh, the defense not being as sharp as it was two years ago, it's still a quality defense to the point where you wonder why the team went eight and eight last year. The defense was not great, but it was solid. And it just really accentuates even more so the issues offensively with this football team. And, and again, when you're a Bears fan, you have seen this forever. A defense that's getting it done, that's keeping you in the ball game, and the offense not holding up their end of the bargain. All I've ever asked for is balance from the Bears, not just for a season or for a game or a series of games in the NFC North, but it's about balance. You you can't you cannot just move forward and say, okay, defense, win this for us. This is why the last time we saw the Bears in the Super Bowl, it was about the defense as well under Lovey Smith. Rex Grossman could not move this offense well enough to be able to keep the, the Bears in games with the defense, and the special teams did. And that's why that was a hard season to enjoy, even though the Bears were on the top of the ladder uh, in the Super Bowl against Indianapolis, and they fell short. But you know what could have got them the victory? Someone that was as good as Peyton Manning, or even someone that was at least good enough to be able to keep an offense in the ball game. You got a solid running game, but you just didn't have a quarterback that can get it done. And Grossman could not get it done. And so we've gone through this for a long time now. And what is really a head scratcher for me is that whatever happens this upcoming season, whenever we have this season, this will tell a great story about the future for the Bears. Um, there's a full team preview about the Bears that we'll talk about coming up next right here on Under the Hood. This is Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000, Chicago's home for sports. It's Under the Hood. Follow us on the gram at IGJHood and at ESPN underscore Chicago. This is Chicago's home for sports, ESPN 1000. And so last night we looked at ESPN.com. It says NFL Future Power Rankings the projections for all 32 teams for the next three years. And we scrolled all the way to the bottom and was saying, oh, the Bears have to be at least 20, right? Now, they were number 31 on the list. And, again, it's really about now, but it's also about the future. You know, the NFL, as you well know, is so fleeting. But 31st is, I thought, was a little bit, well, definitely a lot low. But when you read what Lewis Riddick says or what Clinton, with um uh, Field Yates has to say about the NFL and this Bears team. The Bears enter 2020 with the quarterback competition on their hands as Nick Foles and Mitchell Trubisky will vie for starting duties. Uh, being ranked this low is not a reflection of where the team will probably finish in 2020. There's enough reason to think that Chicago can hang around for a while in the NFC North with good quarterback play, but a reflection of some recent major decisions uh, made by Ryan Pace. Ryan Pace handpicked Trubisky and has been heavy-handed at times in free agency. The Jimmy Graham story will be on the tombstone of Ryan Pace if he can't survive this. You love someone that's trying to be aggressive, but when you swing and miss, that's the worst. And so that's the whole thing watching the Bears. So going back to Pro Football Focus, the NFL Team Preview Series, they finally got to the Bears. And so... 
there's some things that you and I already know, right? After winning a division title and fielding one of the best defensive performances of the season in 2018, the Bears were an obvious regression candidate a year ago. That eventually proved true as the Bears stumbled to a disappointing 8-8 eight and eight season. So what they document is um, the additions and subtractions to the team. And, and so when we look at the offense. We already reviewed the defense uh, on one side of the football where they were in the top 10 defensively, and I still believe that coming into the season. Now, when we look at the offense, the, the Trubisky thing is, I mean, I guess I'll, I'll give you a little snippet of what they said. Like the Part of the trouble with predicting quarterback play is isolating the quarterback's performance with that of their playmakers, and Trubisky's 29 uh, stat regression is a good example. His stats took a big hit while his grades remained static. And given his low-level performance in each of the last two years, uh, there was too much risk for the Bears to go into 2020 with him as a starter. Enter Nick Foles, who comes in with caveats on his own. That is true. You know, Foles in 2013, in that season, is one of the best uh, stat seasons in history uh, because of Chip Kelly's brand-new scheme. But then you start a regression with him in 2014. 2015 was a disaster with the Rams when multiple quarterbacks struggled. Then 17 and 18, he was rejuvenated with the Eagles. And now here he is with the, with the Chicago Bears. So the quarterback situation, as it's always been, outside of Cutler and McMahon and Eric Kramer for a year, it has just never been stabilized. Uh, you want wins in the position, but it's never been stabilized enough where you could say, that's the guy that you're going to go with for 10 years. This is what Pace thought about Trubisky going into drafting him and thinking that he's going to be the guy for 10 years. So let's take a look at the running back. I heard whispers that there were question marks about David Montgomery running the football for the Bears. And I don't know what those question marks are when you have issues with the offensive line. And I think that we see a rookie third rounder in David Montgomery. He was the lead back. He finished with a 65.3% rushing grade and just 3.7 yards per attempt. Now, when he was in college, he was a broken tackle machine. And he showed some prowess of that with 47 forced missed tackles last year. But it didn't translate into rushing production. You know why? Because Nagy did not want to run the football enough. And, and I still I still don't know the disconnect between Nagy and Montgomery as far as him maybe seeing some from Montgomery where he felt that, well, maybe he can't be a down and down out back. And again, I'm, a little, I'm not looking for 1987 when it comes to running the football. You know that's not the NFL today unless it's Tennessee. Uh, that's not the NFL today, a guy running the football time and time and time again. That's not what I'm looking for. And I think that the smart Bear fan also looks at it the same way. Like, you just want Montgomery to be able to be a threat and a help to Trubisky. Am I getting, tell me this. Open the phone line, Sean. 312-332-ESPN. 332-3776 is our phone number. Do I have that right uh, if you're a Bears fan and you're listening to me and you're instead of nodding, you could call me and tell me if I'm right. When we talk about the running game with the Bears, right, you just want him to be able to be an option for Trubisky. I know a, a, the smart Bears fan is not looking for him to be between the tackles and three yards in a cloud of dust. There's so many ways to use the running back now that if Montgomery has better hands than Jordan Howard, then why can't you use Montgomery more so out in the flat for him to be able to get yarders that way? I hope I'm, I'm reading that right, because I just believe that Montgomery 
had a hard time with this offensive line. Uh, Tariq Cohen is a versatile option, but just he's not a guy that's going to be a down in and down out back either. Uh, there's certain plays, there's a certain section of plays you can have for Tariq Cohen. But even Tariq, I think at one point said, I'm not a running back. And then I'm like, okay, so what kind of Swiss Army knife are you? Who are you, right? Um, here's the numbers for Tariq Cohen, just as a refresher. The ball was forced to him way too often last year, and he caught 77 passes, good for 456 yards, and a pedestrian 5.8 yards per reception. Montgomery and Cohen should make an effective duo, and with better production around them, they're in line to have a bounce-back 2020. Well, um, pro football focuses lips to God's ears that that is going to be the case, because I don't see it unless the offensive line gives them the opportunity to roam. Uh, So, Let's move to the wide receiver spot. I heard what LaDainian Tomlinson said about Allen Robinson. And he said that he thought that Allen Robinson can give more. Not disappointed, but I think he said he could give a lot more. But here's the thing. Robinson, according to Pro Football Focus, he, he posted 12th in best receiving grade. It was an 81.1. No other receiver graded higher than 67.9. And that's because of the personnel. Allen Robinson is a number one receiver for most teams in the NFL. And it, he didn't look like that because of what you did not get from Javon Wims, a straight-ahead runner. You did not get from Wiley Ridley, a fourth-rounder. What you did not get from Tyler, from Taylor Gabriel, uh, which you not get enough of from Anthony Miller. So this is what you get. Like, like Robinson got the lion's share of the balls, great. But he was not able to pay dividends because he finished with 393 yards on deep passes, 20 yards plus, and his drop rate was at... 3%, which is 11th best out of 101 qualifiers. The point is, like, 393 yards on deep routes. Well, whose fault is that? He can't throw the ball and catch it, right? Anthony Miller had the second-highest grade receiving at 67-9 uh, for this Bears team, but it's about the additions for this upcoming season. If Robinson and Miller can be able to give you quality – then what does a veteran like Ted Ginn bring to the table? Dar- Darnell Mooney, who they got out of Tulane in the draft, will they be able to help? Will Riley Ridley be a help for this Bears team offensively? Again, when I'm asking questions to you, and to me, if there's more questions than answers, that's a head-scratcher. The tight end spot is controversial because I hosted the draft show here on ESPN 1000. And I know that some looked at Cole Komet and said that this is not the right choice. Why take Cole Komet? I didn't have no problem with the pick. I had a problem with Jimmy Graham. But what I thought was so many people were going after Komet saying, like, like why did you draft this guy if you, if you signed Jimmy Graham? Well, the, the vitriol should be at pace for signing Jimmy Graham to start with. You know, he had come in with a career-low 56.9 receiving grade. That's not going to get it done. That's not going to get it done at all. Uh, Cole Komet, the pick, had, I had no problem with that uh, because that guy is going to be your next-level tight end uh, that can do a lot of things. I saw him in Notre Dame. I know how good of a player that he is. Um, but the idea of getting Jimmy Graham, that's the thing that's a head-scratcher for me the most. And, of course, the offensive line, the 25th-ranked unit, um, 
for offensive line, they regressed from a top 10 offensive line in 2018 to one of the worst in the National Football League. The biggest drop-off, according to PFF, is talking about Charles Leno, and now he had four straight seasons grading from the 70s. Uh, from 2015 to 2018, he was just under 60% as far as how they qualify these uh, offensive linemen. Bobby Massey's on this list, as well as Cody Whitehair, James Daniels. Those guys play musical chairs. So you get what you get. You get what you get with this Bears team. And, and so for me, as I look at all these columns about the team, my bottom line is, is that if this, when we have a season, if we have a season and the Bears underachieving this season, you know, if you're Virginia McCaskey, if you are, um, if you're the ownership for the Bears, you got to figure out like, so what's the, what's the uh, decisions that you're going to make? Because, when we see Matt Nagy as a head coach for this football team, I, you know, I like Matt Nagy, um, but it's all about personnel. He brings the Kansas City playbook in without Kansas City players. So how does this get better? <laughs> right? How does this get better? And it is urgent. It is that urgent, by the way, when you think about uh, the Bears for this upcoming season. It's urgent because what you're looking for is for improvement from the 8-8 eight eight season last year. But the defense will still be solid, I think, this year. But now the question is Foles and Trubisky and the offensive line and the other options uh, for the wide receiver other than Allen Robinson. All these questions, tight end, Jimmy Graham. Like, how much time does Graham get? How much time does Komet get? I'm not giving you the doom and gloom scenario. What I'm telling you is is that the Bears have to figure out this upcoming season, who they are and what they're going to be. I just laid out for you, Pro Football Focus does a great job of breaking down the numbers for the Bears and evaluating player by player versus others. It's not good. Once again, just like it was in the 60s, like it was in the 70s, like it was in the 80s when the Bears were on a run with Ditka, just like it was when it comes to, um, to Lovey Smith, you know what it comes down to is it comes down to a defense that's strong enough and an offense that's lags behind, and that's not right. 312-332-ESPN-332-3776 is our phone number. Uh, does Foles make the Bears better or worse as a quarterback for this team? Because as I just read for you, if you hadn't re- really researched and taken a look at Nick Foles' career, he's been a career backup. And I really believe, and I've been saying since he came here, that Foles uh, came to the Bears, I believe that Trubisky will start the season. And I think he has to fail into the job before Foles can get the job. Now, again, who, because there has no training camp, it's hard for me to evaluate. You know, during this time on the 21st of July, you and I would be in Bourbon A, or at least hearing stories about Bourbon A and how the quarterback competition is going, quote unquote. But we have no idea. We have no idea what, what the Bears are thinking right now with all those Zoom calls and no no action on the field. Let us go to the phone lines and talk to you. 312-332-ESPN is our phone number. I just laid out for you what Pro Football Focus and ESPN thinks of the Bears. So what do you think of the Bears? Frank in Valparaiso, Indiana with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000. Hi, Frank. I was really the... Frank, call us back. Looks like you have a cell phone problem. I hear some some of you, but I want to be able to get your full thoughts. So call us back on a better cell. You must be stuck in the rain in Valparaiso. 
312-332-ESPN is our phone number. I'll take your phone call. So after I laid out just this whole thing about the Bears, so what do you think? Does the Foles make the Bears better or worse for this upcoming season? And as everything I've just laid out, what stands out about the 2020 season? Because for me, the defense will be solid. But what improvements can we see offensively? Remember, it all starts with the quarterback. Will that happen? We'll talk about that also. A Chicago Bull has something to say about head coach uh, Jim Boylan. We'll get to that in your phone calls next right here on Under the Hood. This is Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood. Hi, everybody. On ESPN 1000, Chicago's home for sports. This is Under the Hood on ESPN 1000. Follow at TweetJHood on Twitter. Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000. Chicago's home for sports. Yeah, summer of football coming your way at 8 o'clock right here on ESPN 1000. And the ESPN Chicago app will hear from Brad Edwards. ESPN college football analyst will get his thoughts about whether or not college football is going to start on time in this country, uh, in the Midwest, um, in the Big Ten, all across the country. So we'll get Brad's thoughts on that. Also some thoughts about Notre Dame and Brian Kelly. We'll get to that coming up on the home of the Irish ESPN 1000 at 8 o'clock. And don't forget, if you're a wrestling fan, I got you. So we got Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday every Tuesday night. We give you the best of pro wrestling conversation. Josh Lopez from ProWrestlingTranscriptions.com will be with us at 8.30. Uh, if you're a wrestling fan or know of them, if, if someone is into the WWE or AEW or what is going on in pro wrestling, tell them every Tuesday. There's Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday at 8.30 right here on Chicago's Home for Sports. All right, 312-332-ESPN. 332-3776 is our phone number. I'm talking Bears, and I'm asking you your thoughts about the Bears offense. Does you know, does Nick Foles and the signing of Foles hold the Bears back offensively? Uh, is it, it Because as I look at Vegas, when Foles was signed, first it was eight and a half, and now it's eight as far as the win total for the Bears. Well, that's where they were last year. Let me get your thoughts on, on the Bears overall. Defensively, I think that they're going to be fine again. Offensively, there's more question marks than answers. Let's go back to Frank in Valparaiso. He's been holding on ESPN 1000. Hi, Frank. Hi, Jonathan. How are you? I'm uh, well. Just a little history. Just a little history, first of all. The uh, strength of the 85 Bears defense was actually the offense because they rushed for over 2,700 yards, and they kept the defense on the bench. And that way, when defense had to play, they could pin their ears back and go. So all that rushing the passer and, and being able to pin the ears back of the offensive team, that never happened in 85, right? The, the strength of the team, you're saying, was the no. offense and not the defense. Is that what you just told me? Well, what I'm saying is, is that the offense, the Bears offense kept the defense on the bench, and when the defense had to play, they could go all out. Okay? And just look at the numbers. They outrushed their opponents uh, 2,700 yards to 1,300. Uh, McMahon was not stellar. He only had a couple more touchdown passes than he had interceptions, and he only had 15 touchdown passes. So the, so the, whole, it, so the whole thing of the Bears' 85 defense is overrated, in your view, because the offense was that good. Is that what you're telling me? Well, I they, they didn't have to play the whole game like the Bears of uh, 2005 or the Bears of uh, even a couple years ago or last year. You know they were keeping the they were keeping the defense on the bench, and uh, you know they were eating up a lot of clock. You know you shorten the game when you run. You got to remember that. Okay. What do you think of Foles? 
Uh, I, I, I think that's wasted money. Uh, you know, I think, I think uh, the best line I heard from any coach was Joe Judge when he got hired by the New York Giants. He said the one thing he learned from Belichick is uh, when you come in and you're coaching, you assess your talent and then you design everything around your talent. And that's not what has happened when Nagy came in. He didn't assess the talent and what he had. He tried to he tried to turn Trubisky into uh, Mahomes, and that's not going to happen. So I, I think it's more of a coaching problem than it is anything. Assess your talent and uh, design around it. Okay, I'm glad you checked in. I appreciate your phone call. Leaves line open, 312-332-ESPN. 332-3776 is our telephone number. You know, it's, it's interesting about... Uh, the revisionist history when it comes to the Bears, <laughs> because, you know, Peyton ran for uh, 1,500 yards in 85, uh, and it wasn't the same numbers of like when he in the 70s when he ran for almost 1,900 yards. He never was a 2,000-yard rusher, but he was always, always all over the field uh, running the football. He, sometimes he'd play special teams. He would catch the football. So he was all over the field, that is for sure. Um, but I am not going to turn a blind eye to the what the defense was able to bring. It, it, yeah, they were fresh, sure, but also they were tenacious. That, that is one of the first times I've ever heard the defense not getting the full credit that they deserve. Um, they, I, I would say that would have asked for balance on both sides of the football, um, that the Bears were close to that, but that, McMahon was not great, but Peyton was great, and the receivers in that team was great. Um, but it just... Yeah, you know, I'm not going to diss the contributions of Richard Dent and Otis Wilson and Dan Hampton and Steve McMichael and Fridge Perry and Wilbur Marshall and uh, and so many others that stood up. Singletary, because you got to throw him in as a middle linebacker. Um, you know, I'm not not going to deny those 64 sacks that they had and how they were ripping teams' heads off. Uh, you know, defensively. So okay. Um, let me get to this because I think this is interesting. It is amazing to me how people find news, right? So Daniel Gafford is just, you know, on Twitch. He's just playing video games on Twitch. And of course, if you've ever been on Twitch, you know that there is a, a side panel where you can ask questions and communicate with people who are playing video games with you. And so this is an interesting thought from the Chicago Bulls, Daniel Gafford, when someone asked a question about head coach Jim Boylan. Well, matter of fact, I will read it out. Do you like Jim Boylan? Yeah, I don't like him a lot, but he okay. Got some things he can work on, got some things he can get better at. As a person and as a coach, I'm not going to hate on him. I'm not going to hate the man, but, you know. It just trails off. That's it. It's like, yeah, right. you know, it, it's, it's one thing for Gafford to talk about, um, boiling, boiling as a coach. Yeah. It's one thing to talk to, to him about it as a coach, but also as a person too. That's also very, that's very telling when it comes to Jim Boylan. Look, any news I get about Jim Boylan, yeah. a surprise. I'm, I'm talking. It's never a surprise when we're talking about Jim Boylan. Here's why. It's because Jim Boylan, as we have documented on this show, uh, he's a guy that even back in his days in Utah had an issue with the players when he, play, when he was a coach at the Utah college team. 
and, and Gordon Monson was a guest on the show, and he gave us re- a real gave us a real understanding of who Boylan was as a coach on the college level. And so he's always been this assistant coach and riding players hard and, you know, trying to motivate. I get that. But as a head coach, as as we talked about last week on last week's show, it it was just a a great itemized list from uh, Darnell Mayberry from the athletic.com about how the first few days of the Boylan administration was not great. It was a mutiny right away. And he was already with the, the coaching staff. He just moves over 18 inches and becomes, goes from assistant to a head coach. And there was a mutiny right away. And so, you know, I, I, I just, uh, I just think that is just uh, interesting that Gafford, and again, it's just 21 seconds and he's relaxed. He's playing video games. He just says, you know, there's some things that he can work on as a, as a person, as a coach. Well, I'm sure that a lot of bulls, uh, players probably feel the same way. And so I know that there's frustration uh, amongst some in Bulls Nation saying, man, finally, we don't have to use the, the hashtag Garpax, right? We don't have to use that. And so now the focus is on how the organization can get better. As we talk about this on Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN Chicago app. Um, so when I... <laughs> When I when I hear people say, okay, so now there's Karnaschovas is in place, uh, and then you have Eversley in place, so now what's the next step? To do? Oh, well, you know the next step is the head coach. Uh, of course, Boylan should be moved out of there, and there should be a new head coach in place for the Bulls. Of course. Of course that should be the case. There's no doubt about that. I mean, you know it. I know it as well. I have speculated for a while now that Jim Boylan was telling Michael Reinsdorf or Jerry Reinsdorf or John Paxson all the things that was wrong with the Bulls while Fred Hoiberg was the head coach. And a smart general manager and a smart guy that's in that position would say, Jim, if you do have a problem or if you do look at things differently, you're the assistant coach uh, or assistant head coach. Why don't you do something about it? Why don't you help out the process? Because to me, you get rid of all those guys. That's, that's what I would do. Uh, I would look at it and say, okay, let's start fresh. But that's not what the Bulls did. They decided to bring Jim uh, in as the head coach and m- let him take Fred's chair. And it's just kind of like, well, wasn't Jim part of the problem too? That was always the thing. There was a head scratcher about this. And so so here we are with Jim Boylan, and you have Daniel Gafford saying, hey, you know, he's, he really needs to improve as a head coach and as a person. Well, that's not a surprise. That, that was not breaking news when I heard that earlier today. Not not surprising. Uh, not not necessarily the greatest people person. This will be Jim's last opportunity to be a head coach in the in the NBA. This this right here. But it's but it's typical Bulls though. Typical Bulls. You choose a guy that's never been a head coach before. He has some ideas because he uh, embodies uh, the nature or the personality of John Paxson. He puts him in the chair. Uh, you know, Tom Thibodeau and, and John Paxson, pro, you know, John probably thought, well, Tom Thibodeau that's exactly what I need. Something totally different than what we had before. Let's put Tom Thibodeau in place because he is demonstrative. He's demanding. He's going to get the most out of the players. He did, and it wasn't good enough. So now with Karnaschovas and with Eversley in place, I'm sure they want to have another head coach. But I think that when the Bulls come back, Boylan will be the head coach, and he's going to get himself fired out of the job. 
I'm sure that there has been converse, conversations with players from this Bulls organization that have talked to the new brass, and it, you probably got the same reaction. Yeah, you know, he's eyed, but he just needs to, you know, be a better be- people person. Yeah, and that's not a surprise. Casey Johnson was on the Bulls podcast on NBC Sports Chicago, um, and was talking about the Boylan situation. The Bulls uh, doing the right thing with Boylan. This is what KC said. Listen. There are no group activities right now. You don't know when the game, first game of the 2021 season is going to be. He knows that ownership has no income coming in right now. He knows that ownership likes Jim Boylan. So why wouldn't you take the long play? And and, and you, my point is, like, if you're going to make a coaching change, you've got to come to ownership with – a thick dossier of reasons why, okay, and, and and have the right candidate to present to them. So that's why I don't see why, you know, that, that to me seems like it's going to be a multi-month um, process, number one. It clearly, it, what he's also clearly stated, he wants to get to know him and he wants to see him in action. Uh, also, to your point, when you say the money situation, I don't know to what level that is playing a factor in this. What I do know is people keep focusing on Jim Boylan and how he's one of the lowest paid coaches in the league, and that is true. But he also just uh, hired a whole new staff last summer. Chris Fleming, first year of a three-year deal. Roy Rogers, first year of a three-year deal. Again, these are not back-breaking moves if they decide to move on from the coaching staff. The Bulls, even in the pandemic, obviously have been an incredibly profitable franchise over the years. My point is, there is a comfort level with some of those coaches on staff. Arturis has worked with Chris Fleming in Denver. He knows Dean Cooper from them overlapping briefly in, in Houston. Mm-hmm. He just picked up the uh, option on assistant coach Nate Lenzer. There is... And that, and you know, you said before about development of coaches. Arturis, to me, is using this time in this unprecedented break to empower Jim Boylan to see if he can get better as a coach, albeit without group activities or games and things like that. He has told he and Mark Eversley have told the coaching staff all those things that you used to worry about last year, Jim, where you know the meet and greets with the season ticket holders or um, you know dealing with agents. That's all off your plate. Mark and I have got that, okay? That's what we're here for. You coach the team. And so maybe in that sense, he thinks that there can be something salvageable there. I don't know. I'm not going to speculate to that degree. I just think that it all ties into them, this, this, this regime, taking the long view in an unprecedented offseason on a major decision. And that, to me, you know, just is common sense. I mean, I, I know people, again, want, like you said, blood right now. But to me, that's just common sense. No, about common sense. It's a choice. It's a choice. Um, Jim Boylan has proven that he is not the right guy for the job or any job in the NBA, quite frankly, as a head coach. Um, and I've also said that something similar in that, you know, you can evaluate Jim Boylan and let him fire himself ultimately. Because here's why. If you brought in a new head coach for the Bulls, doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to win right away. It's it's still some growing pains with this roster, and I don't believe in Zach Levine being the number one option offensively for this Bulls team. As we talk about this on Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN Chicago app, I don't believe that that this roster is set to win anyway. Uh, there are seven or eight teams that are better than the Bulls in the Eastern Conference right now, and the Bulls were hanging in there at some point uh, in the seventh and eighth spot uh, in the East at some point earlier this season, but uh, but. 
I still believe that there still needs to be some roster turnover. If Zach Levine is your number one offensive weapon, you have a problem with your offensive weapons. Uh, a piece of the puzzles, Levine, yes, but your number one option, that is a problem. Uh, but, you know, you can evaluate, and that's fine, as long as you find the coach that you want, the, the head coach that you really want uh, for this team. And, and Boylan is definitely not that. There are a number of head coaches that are available that the Bulls could be looking at right now and hire them right away, but whoever you hire doesn't mean that you're necessarily going to win right away either. So it, it's – I know Boylan is a boob, okay? I, I understand that. I understand that Jim has a lot to yeah, – it's got to get better as a, as a coach. Um, but, you know, those first couple of weeks, a guy that's already been there and then becomes the head coach, and then there's this mutiny that's taking place. This, uh, You know, some will say it's overstated. It was not. It wasn't overstated. It was an issue. So that, that's that's a real problem for sure. 312-332-ESPN, 332-3776 is our telephone number. Um, we, uh, I want to hear from uh, Heather Dinich real quick. Heather Dinich uh, was talking about the, the SWAC, um, and the reason why I want to bring this up is because maybe other college football uh, powerhouses will look at what the SWAC has done here in college uh, football and decide to maybe uh, cancel their plans for uh, – fall football and bring it in the springs because Heather wrote the piece SWAC specifies plans for spring football season as part of a fall sports postponement. A number of them have done that. The Ivy League, Patrick League, uh, MEAC, the A-10, the CAA. They've announced plans to have spring-specific football. Some thoughts from Heather Dinich on that. This is the first I've heard of such a detailed spring plan made public. And SWAT Commissioner Charles McClellan told me yesterday evening he wanted to do that to give his fans and players some hope, something to look forward to. That being said, he also made it very clear to me that the virus will continue to dictate the conference's decisions, meaning this might not happen at all, but it's in place to at least give them some hope. That, yeah, so the SWAC, as I mentioned, other conferences are deciding to um, move their college football to the spring of 2021 because of COVID-19. More in a moment right here on Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood. This is Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000, Chicago's home for sports. This is Under the Hood. Listen to me. Under the Hood podcasts are available now on the all-new ESPN Chicago app. Available on your device now. This is ESPN 1000. Chicago's home for sports. Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN Chicago app. We've got summer football coming your way at 8 o'clock with Brad Edwards from ESPN. Covers college football like a blanket. Will we have college football from the Power 5 on time? Also, Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday comes your way at 8.30 right here on ESPN 1000. Josh Lopez will be with us. So if you are a wrestling fan or know of one, tell them to tune in at 8.30 uh, on the ESPN Chicago app and right here on ESPN 1000. Uh, Brian and Palatine on ESPN 1000. Hi, Brian. Hey, Jonathan, how you doing? Good, thanks for checking in. Sure, I was listening to you. If the, what would it take for the Bulls against Steve Kerr? Oh, man. Well, can he get some, like, uh, some property uh, in San Francisco and <laughs> Oakland? So, so can he get that, that kind of uh, property in Chicago? I don't think he can. Can he get that weather? Somewhere, 
somewhere on the Gold Coast they can probably find a way. But he's funny. <laughs> Think about it. He's won a couple of rings. He's got the Chicago history. And he would solve the problem about getting some free agents to come to Chicago, right, that we've had in the past with these uh, you know, unknown coaches. I, I think they would – I mean, you got to spend some money. If, but uh, if you got him, they'd be able to turn some things around, I think. You know, I like that choice of, of Steve Kerr, and I appreciate your phone call, Brian. And, and I like the choice. I don't know how long Steve wants to coach either. I don't know if that if he's going to be having a long run like Popovich in San Antonio and being in the same spot. I know he's comfortable, uh, but if there was a change coming to Chicago and coaching the Bulls and bringing a championship here, I mean, here's the, one thing about Steve Kerr. He's a lucky one of the luckiest players, luckiest men uh, in basketball that I've ever seen. Steve Kerr is the type of guy that could be walking down the street, falls down the manhole, and then dust himself off and realize he's got six rings on his finger. He's like, where do those six rings come from? As a player, as an executive, as a head coach, he's found a way to be in the right place at the right time. Remember, the before the Golden State deal, he was, was in line to be the head coach for the Knicks. And he was like, no, nah, no, nah, no, nah, Phil, I know... You, I, you know, I know that you are a good coach, and I enjoy playing with you. But I'm going to go to Golden State. What a choice he made! Imagine if he would have taken the Knicks job. I, I would love Steve Kerr to be the head coach for the Bulls, Brian. I, I would. Uh, and again, I don't know. I, I had to talk to Nick about it. How comfortable Steve is out in San Francisco, but boy. That'd be a step up in class, being in the top three market. That's for sure. Summer football right around the corner, right here on UTH. This is Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000, Chicago's home for sports.